Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. So for real, I know I say this every time I have a guest, but that's because I mean it every time I have a guest. I am so excited to have this conversation with this dope human being. My guest today is Sage Crump. Hi, Sage. Hey, Shonda. So I am, I'm excited to see where we go because I have no idea where we're going, but it's going to be <laughs> so fire. So I'm going to start with you. Like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? So I really appreciate this uh, question. Um, and I had to sit with it for a minute because I wear a lot of hats in the world. I do a lot of things, support people in different ways. But when I think about my labor of love, um, I was like, if I wanted to pull it really down to the the to, to the core of me, I I want to say that my labor of love is finding ways to embody what radical love can mean for the transformation of the world we live in. Mm. And so I was like, oh, you're gonna say love in the midst of your labor of love, but really, I think that the word love is is so it fills with it's filled with so much and unfortunately and not by no accident it gets truncated to so little and that's why i love this podcast and and like like and and when i think about what i offer what i offer myself to in this world it is the expansion continually trying to push our definition, expand our practice of what love looks like uh, in service to justice and transformation. Mm. I'm just letting that one land because it's, it sounds, it can sound simplistic, I think, but it's so deep. Like I, I felt it in my chest. I felt it in my solar plexus because for the first um, several years and you know, I usually get to this at some point in the in the in the conversation, but for folks to know like how Sage and I are connected, Sage was one of the 36 dope human beings who Woo-hoo! went through <laughs> the coaching for healing justice and liberation uh certification. You know, several people from our cohort have been on the podcast. And so we connect very deeply there. We connect so deeply, but we don't even know where people live. Like where you actually live, like you know, I just had that conversation. The, the, the deepest desires of your soul, the, your littles and, and parts that pop up. Oh, we got that. But like where you actually physically located, we don't know stuff like that. Or mm-hmm. what you actually what what do you like what do you do to make money? We don't know that. I don't we know just that. know how we out here changing the world just by being authentic. And mm, I would say prior to chjl i didn't even recognize this but my focus was on the labors of labors of love 
What did that look like? How did I want to show up in the world? What was I doing? And part of my evolution was that the focus for me shifted from the labors to the love. Mm-hmm. And I realized that at my essence, it's love. And what does that look like? So when you talk about your labor of love, there are a couple of words that I would like you for de- to define for us mm-hmm. um, within your your labor of love. The first is radical. Mm-hmm. When you say radical love, because we've already acknowledged that love has been chopped up into these little bitty pieces and we're told that one piece of it is the totality of it which I disagree with but mm-hmm. when you say radical tell us what you mean yeah so when I use the word radical in in whatever context I often um reference uh, Ella Baker and Ella Baker would say um radical means getting to the root Mm. that like it's it's almost like it's 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 the mathematical definition of radical like it is the the uh, um the deepest part right like so it's a way um to push past sort of reformist reforms right it's a way to push past sort of like oh this will this will make this a little bit better and actually get to the what's at the core that will create a transfer that will create a transformation. So when I say radical, I mean, when I say radical love um, together, I mean our inherent value mm-hmm. as humans um, or, or as beings. Let's see. Um, when I say radical, I mean um, the um, expression of love that is in resistance to the dominant projected shaping truncation of love and also is its own expansive uh, um, engagement with the world like Mm -hmm. to love Um, so when I think about radical love I think I put it in context too because I think it is in in context to how we labor what we offer the world right like um, but in service to what Mm. right like so the radical part is what I want to love in service to our inherent dignity, our inherent worth, and be pushing in resistance to those things that want to blind us or uh, um, coerce us into ways that don't honor that, honor that, and simultaneously be expanding what it means to love in the world, what it means to love, uh, um, and how we do that. Mm. Um, yeah. I appreciate that so much. There was such a dynamic, there's a dynamic quality to what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Right. There is a resistance and an expansion. And I just kept seeing like. So you got to I'm sure they probably still have them, but I'm going to take us back in the day. The little, I guess, batons that had the liquid in it and the glitter. Mm-hmm. Did you ever follow the little the air bubble? Oh, yes. Yes. In there. Right. That's what came to my mind as you were describing that. Like, it's not static. You know, it it's it's movement, it's flow mm-hmm. in purpose, moving and shifting. And when that bubble comes, sometimes the glitter shifts to the other side, but the bubble will come back. And there was such a dynamic quality to what you were describing, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And so the next word I'm going to ask you to define is um, embodied. Mm-hmm. Embodied for me um, 
is about how we be, right? Like, what do we do together? I, I am, um, if you if you read my bio or you look me up somewhere, you know, I'm a cultural strategist. And I always talk about culture isn't something we just know. It's actually something we embody. It's something we do. It's how we be together, right? Like, so embodied means um, I don't, you like my labor of love is not just like, oh, you know, I feel love for you, right? Like, and that I'm not, um, I'm not knocking feelings, right? Like feelings are information, they're important, but it is about also how I treat you. Mm-hmm. It is about how I, how I think about the shape of the world in relationship to its care for me and you, right? Like it is, it is an embodied practice. It is, it, it can be understood by watching, um, how I, we move through the world and mm-hmm. what choices we make, um, that's that's what I mean by embodied, right? Like it's a practice. It is a constant practice. Yes, it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Embodiment. And so as you were saying that, so much dope stuff. One of the things that stood out to me was one, the word choices, mm-hmm. how we be together. Like I'm my I'm wearing my being human with other humans t-shirt right now, right? Can we just be? Mm-hmm. can we be embodied and when you said like hey there's nothing wrong with feelings I always talk about feelings as their messengers mm-hmm. right information so their information a lot of us receive mail from the United States Postal Service and there is a person who drops off that mail mm-hmm. a person might deliver a bill that's inaccurate mm-hmm. they just dropped off the letter <laughs> They are not responsible for the contents of that letter, right? That's how I try to help people understand feelings and emotions. They are messengers. They carry data and information oftentimes from our lived experience and they are valuable. But sometimes we get caught up in that and we're like, but that that's not the source. Mm-hmm. It's just the messenger. And what I was hearing you saying is this embodied radical love is taking moving beyond the message or feeling of a thing and saying I am going to translate love through action through presence through being and that feels well that's how I'm living my life (laughs) and that feels real good to be connected with other folks that are living their life in a similar way yeah no I, I yeah I, I, yeah, I love that. Like, and I think that the the layer I want to add to that is for yourself and for others, right? Yes. Like, I I can't be comfortable in my being of just myself, knowing the assault on my trans family right now, right? Like, I can't be like my. I mean, well. Someone's always coming for <laughs> for us in some ways, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's how this is arranged. But like it, it's uh, I want to make sure that there that um, I'm clear about like there's a layer to it um, about the arrangement of society um, that all of us have to engage in, right? Like that that uh, if we agree that there is both, and I believe in an in what I call an accurate assessment, which is law. Some of this is going to hell. Oh my God, look at these beautiful things that are happening right now. That's that's an accurate assessment, right? Mm-hmm. Too often we're just like, oh, it's fine. Nothing to worry about. Or I'm just going along. Or 
you know, it can be sometimes either or, or it's like all, you know, burning down. And it's never to me either or. We're back to the bubble that you talked about, right? Like we're always in this fluctuation between the two happening simultaneously. And I never want to lose my eye on um, the, the state of society that is both in relationship to me and in relationship to other people, the land, the mm-hmm. earth, you know, uh, my, my fur kin, um, you know, that there's a, there's a, I want to be thoughtful about my own movements in relationship to all of that. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you bringing that depth. And even within that, right. There's, I, I also, you know, you said there's this one or the other sometimes that people fall in like, oh, everything is fine. Let's just ignore it over here. It's like that meme of the the dog in the fire. It's fine. It's fine. You know, um, or the other one, everybody's like, oh my God, it's just so awful. It's just so awful. So there's, there's the harmony that exists, like the accurate assessment, assessment, the both and. I also find sometimes that people can be so consumed in self that they don't pay attention to what's happening around. And I think sometimes there are times that some, some of us can be so externally focused that we don't consider that we're part of the thing we're fighting for. Oh, I've had that moment. I remember, I remember very clearly one time I was like, oh, I'm doing all this work around black women. And I was like, wait, I am one. So how does it apply to me? You know, and there's a, I, I, every once in a while, you know, what do they say? I got time today. So I got into a little uh, Instagram conversation uh, around a video that Janelle Monet posted, who I think is, you know, a radical, queer, non-binary, you know, black person in the world who does a lot of amazing things. And um, they were saying, uh, Janelle Monet was saying, you know, if it's not about a vacation, I don't want to be talking about it. If you're not talking to me about when we're going on a vacation, I don't want to be talking. All I want to do is talk about, you know, the next vacation I'm going on, the next vacation I'm going on. And, and, you know, so there are all these amazing comments like, yes, you know, yes, we deserve vacations. And I was like, just some rich people-ish, mm. you know, <laughs> some rich people-ish, right? Like, and that's all I said. And then so folks were, you know, of course they're like, well, can't she live her life? I was like, she can, absolutely. And in the time that we are living in, for what she could offer in her platform, the idea of like, all we should be talking about is going on vacation. It felt like there was more to be talked about right now. It just feels like there's more to be talking about than when I'm going on my next vacation. And that doesn't negate the conversation about when I'm going on my next vacation because I got mine planned the first week in July, already okay. paid for, ready to go. <laughs> and <laughs> I want to be thinking about, there, there's so much going on in the world. There's so mm-hmm. much going on that we can be in conversation with each other about so that we can find a way forward that actually feels good, right, dignified, and honorable for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the challenge is how often... Are people really, what am I saying? Like not afforded. That's, that's not even what I'm saying, but like there is a distinct lack of practice in harmony that so many of us experience have experienced that the both end of life is real complicated for folks. Uh Like there, there literally is no neuronal networks set up, no grooves paved. For people to go, more than one thing can be true at a time. Mm-hmm. And because I get to sit with so many different human beings, it strikes me at what a challenge that is mm-hmm. for some people to be able to hold both. 
and in and, and the inner conflict that comes when they see two different people saying two different things and parts agree with both and it's like that right so that's where we get cognitive dissonance and so the mm -hmm. brain don't like all that so it just be like can we just pick a side mm -hmm. can we just pick one yeah. and the brain's communication is if if we can just pick one i'll do my job of translating all incoming data in service of the one you pick so you don't have to be uncomfortable so you don't have to stretch yourself. I, I, ooh, ooh, pick me. I'll do that. That's what the brain is saying. <laughs> and so sometimes I'll be like, I love our brains. They're not reliable though. Mm -hmm. Not not to a lot of things. So can yeah. we talk about that? Like like yeah. holding those things. So I appreciate so much of the layering that you said. I have a curiosity of where this is rooted for you. So mm -hmm. if you were to follow the trail back to maybe some of the seeds that were planted that allowed you to dedicate your life and your labors towards radical embodied radical love. Where would you say that comes from for you? Yeah. I, and I, I appreciate your reflection. So spot on sis. Um, <laughs> like I'm like, what did I talk about? Uh, uh what you said um and we can pause that we just tell yeah. us as, at some point let us know where it came from but we can <laughs> flow in yeah. whatever way so if you want to talk about let, let's keep it i'm gonna weave it all together we'll see yes, where we perfect. <laughs> um uh, i had just had, i had a complicated childhood I had a very complicated childhood um and both felt very loved and very cherished and also very invisible. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of my generation. Um, and, and just familial dynamics, really, I was wrestling with contradiction at a very young age. And I think that that's part of it. Like I was talking with a friend of mine last week and we're like, contradiction just exists. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just contradiction, right? Everything, it's, it happens, this idea of like, tension, all of this, it's in the natural world everywhere. And so I appreciate what you were saying about our brains are not wired for that because it's been wired in a certain way, right? For a certain reason. Um, but if we can get into like the flow of, of nature, we recognize there's constant movement, constant change. We're always navigating, you know, roots have to decide where they're gonna go. We have to decide how we're gonna move. Like th that contradiction, tensions, um, are are beautiful spaces and and part of that's part of why I dedicate when I think about my labor to um uh, uh, my labor of love to the embodied radical love so that love can have its largest expression um it it's partly because I've, I've how I've always lived it's how I had to make sense of the world is to be able to hold multiple things simultaneously and I do believe, and because we are in a society that um, that has trained us that good and bad exist, mm -hmm. and because good and bad exist, um, we have to choose one uh, one or the other. Um, I love the work of Prentice Hemfield that um, talks about the end of innocence. Mm -hmm. right? Like if you end your own sense of innocence, then you it's part of an abolition framework. You can end guilt um, of others, and you become you become in relationship to humanity. Um, and transformate and the possibility of transformation in new ways. You know, it was just mind blowing. I was like, oh yeah, let me sit with that, right? Like, so I do, I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's not how 
we are are designed for our comfort. Like comfort is the I am on the good side, right? Like I am doing the good things. I am doing the right things. And I'm doing the good and right things because look at my life and how it is is shaped, right? Like going back to Janelle Monet, right? And I think that's part of the insidiousness of racialized capitalism, right? It's like, so if I don't have those things, if I can't do nothing but sit around and plan my next vacation or make albums and plan my next vacation, then I must be on the bad side, right? Like I must not be doing something right. And it invisibilizes all of the structures that coerce us Mm. into having to make this choice of either or good or bad, um, love, hate, like Mm. that. And and instead, um, can we just name it all love? and figure out what we're going to do about it for the world that we deserve. Mm. Girl, yes. Okay, so, so much yes. Mm. Structures, our conditioning, this this thing that happened. So I frequently talk about how from early in life, so many of us are conditioned around fairy tales. Mm. Um, but even outside of fairy tales, the stories that we're given have a hero and a villain. Mm-hmm. And within the hero and villain story, there's usually some victims. And and because the, the hero isn't a hero unless it can save somebody. Somebody. And somebody's. And, and, and so, yeah, it, all of that, like all the ways in which we come to multiple crossroads every single day of having to choose good, bad, right, wrong. So when people come into space with me, whether it's a group way, whether it's a coaching partner, a therapy partner, and it's kind of like, so I don't use the words good, bad, right, wrong, because they come in, it was the right. So I don't use those words. Let's just talk about it as an experience. What does Mm -hmm. it feel like to talk about something as an experience without having to assign a value judgment of good, bad, right, wrong to it? And to watch people's morphing discomfort with just the data because we've we are not culturally and societally taught encouraged or given opportunities to practice data being data data has to be good it has to be bad and then right racialized capitalism the myth that is white supremacy all those things say now attach yourself to wherever you align on this spectrum and the, like you said, the further you are away from this, this, this mirage that we've created, then that means bad. Mm-hmm. And so then it's either, how do I make myself good? Right. How do, how do I yeah. do that? Or how do I just slump into badness? So where is the hero that's going to come to save mm-hmm. me from this data point? That's not really a data point. I'm, I'm organizing my whole belief system about myself, about other people. Like, you know, when we include all beings, the land, the earth, right, plants, and out of all the things, if there's going to be a hierarchy, survival says find out how not to be at the very bottom, Mm -hmm. right? So, so, so pertinent. And when you were talking about childhood, I will say, like, by something, some, some littles in me leapt and was like, we know that feeling. Because I always say, like, it's amazing to me that I spent most of my life feeling simultaneously like I was too much and not enough Mm -hmm. at the same time, which 
was what it was. I don't think I, I intellectualized it as I was growing up. I didn't realize, you know, I didn't talk about it, but now I sit and like, that's an interesting place to be constantly feeling like you're on both extremes of a spectrum mm-hmm. and how how that pulls so yeah I don't know if you want to add anything to that but I mean I just let's just reinforce your brilliance first of all that you are helping people understand like like it's data right like it's data it's information right like and and I think that what is is brilliant about about that and and what you support folks in discovering is um what uh, people attribute this quote, it's something Grace Lee Boggs said, it's said by a lot of uh, other leaders, like transform yourself to transform the world, right? Like the hero is not coming to save you, right? You could actually, and be, not because you don't need them, right? You don't need them. Part of it is you can save yourself mm. when you begin to understand the construct in which you're in. You can't, you can't, play a game if you don't know a game is happening, right? So the more you can understand the construct that is shaping you, then you have more choice, you have more space, you know, to make some decisions about how you wanna move, how you wanna value yourself, what you think is important, what you wanna offer the world, and how you build a life that feels self-determined, but not disconnected from the collective, Mm. right? Because that's the that's those are the options that I feel like we're oftentimes absorbing, right? Like if you want to be out here helping the people, there's a self-forgetting that I think is emphasized, particularly if you've worked in the social, the helping professions, social service world, like it's part of the culture. Like, oh, you want to contribute to the greater good in this particular way? Okay, well, you you fail to matter. <laughs> like, don't don't think about yourself you know, and so push yourself beyond your boundaries. As a matter of fact, what are those? Don't have those. Um, (laughs) And other things like, oh, self-interest and personal thing. Yeah, that's not really important, right? Then on the other side, it's like, if I want to, if I want to be out here and living a fulfilled life, then I can't have y'all weighing me down. Like y'all interests, y'all, y'all don't matter. So I got to, I got to over here and I got to grind, you know? And what's interesting to me when I think of the word grind, because even before I was the version of myself that I am now, I was resistant to the grind mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. It just, it was something about it. Now I participated, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. I participated, even though there was something that I was resistant to. And I'm like, well, what do we grind? Grinding don't leave things whole. Mm-mm. Like the whole purpose of grinding something is to disseminate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, to, it's to create a different form of the thing that existed as a whole. Why, why that? I'm good. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I might not even understand wholeness right now, but I think I want to be it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be ground and disseminated into that. And so a word you've used multiple times um, in our time together is choice, mm-hmm. choice, choice. Yeah. Um. So I said, so Jamari Michael White, is my coach and I told okay. him I said look you're gonna be on the podcast but right now I ain't ready to share you with the world so we gonna keep doing our <laughs> like I, I ain't gonna lie I be like that sometimes y'all but he mm-hmm. dope <laughs> but he he recently did I, I guess we'll call it a workshop a gathering mm-hmm. um 
and it was called interestingly more than sage but he wasn't talking about you (laughs) (laughs) you know it was creating um a spiritual and energetic hygiene practice Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we talked about is our conscious yes our conscious choice Mm -hmm. conscious choice being our greatest power and protection and so it it really got me to thinking about yes myself but how often folks fall into a line of work, stumble mm-hmm. into something, even if it's highly impactful, it's activism, it's community organizing, it's it's being a, a, a helper, like a therapist, a social worker, something like that. But like, are we given our conscious choices and how often we feel we don't have choice because the systems that have been put in place do a really good job of perpetuating the narrative that there is no choice to be had. Like mm-hmm. it, it just is what it is. Right. So you yeah. do based on that. So can you talk a little bit more about choice? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I can say more than what you just said, which was perfect. Was that, that the, the core, even in the fairy tales, right? Like the, the, the way the systems are arranged and the way we are programmed to be good stewards of racialized capitalism is to believe that there are no alternatives. Like there's a whole body of work around Margaret Thatcher inventing the phrase of Tina. There is no alternative, right? Like this just is. Um, and then I often put that in, in conversation with science fiction writer Ursula Le Guin, who says that, um, capitalism feels inevitable, but so did the divine rights of kings, Mm. right? Like nothing is inevitable, right? And, you know, I think part of that is is about choice, like radical embodied love is about the choices that we make and how do we expand what those choices are, right? In in service to like the love that we feel. And so I actually, you know, I have, I believe in body art. I believe it's part of my ancestral lineage. I have a, a lot of body art, and in particular, um, I have a tattoo that is an indinkra symbol um, for transformation, and around it are the words, choice is my freedom, curiosity is my guide. Mm. And uh, Ooh, Say that one again. Like, that was good. Choice is my freedom, mm. and curiosity is my guide. Yes. Because I want to be able to remember that what I see in front of me isn't all that there is, all that ever has been, all that there's potentially going to be. So how do I enter into this world in all of its challenges and all of its beauty with a sense of curiosity, right? And if I'm like, oh, I'm curious about that and know that I have choice, I have opportunity to make a decision about how I want to engage it, right? Like how I want to engage like that. And and knowing that it's 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 in a circle because they keep going. Like the choices create more curiosity. The curiosity creates opportunity for more choices. The choices create more opportunity. Opportunity creates more choices. It just mm-hmm. kind of circles around and they feed themselves um, in, in a way that feels very, um, that I try to be very thoughtful about and offer um, other spaces to be thoughtful about that as well. Right? So yes. that when I talk about choice, it really, um, it is, to me, if I think about freedom as a as a personal practice, as a personal practice, and then like liberation as a kind of political collective practice, mm-hmm. but my freedom is my choice in any given moment. Now, are there consequences 
sure. <laughs> They're absolutely like, nobody here is a Pollyanna. Like, you can just do whatever you want. Like, no way up. But what I'm clear about is that the consequences also um, are a way, are also information. Right? Yes. Like also pieces of information um, that I can use to think about what choices I want to make. Right? What choices I want to make. So good. As you were talking, I began to think about, well, yeah. Okay. So I love that. I want to keep talking about choice from a body perspective. Mm-hmm. So part of why choice can feel non-existent is because our bodies, our nervous systems activate in a particular way toward safety, toward fear. And really that's the only two options that our nervous system has. So in our cognitive framing of the world, our brain is wrapping a story around what's happening in our bodies. And if the only two options our nervous system has is safe or unsafe, that decision is either going to be safe or unsafe. I feel either safe or unsafe, that relationship safe or unsafe. It's going to activate in certain ways. That's why I think somatic practices are so important Mm -hmm. because if you can learn to sit and breathe deeply through elevated heart rates, then you realize that your body is just sending a message. Hey, based on previous experiences, <laughs> this thing that's coming up is uh is definitely trending towards that ain't safe, right? Mm-hmm. So the heart rate elevates, the blood pressure goes up, our pupils dilate, and we feel like we want to run or fight. Mm-hmm. But when we have somatic practices that allow us to go, Yes, based on those things, the body, you you are accurate. I like to say that the body don't lie, but it's not always accurate. It's not always right. <laughs> it ain't always truth. It ain't it's it ain't lying to you. There is an escalation coming, but when we can practice through somatics and importantly have community mm-hmm. that we can do this with, then all of a sudden we get the practice of breathing through that thing because ultimately the body and brain have low thresholds for information they need will Mm. we die it's pretty much the ultimate Mm. question that they collectively have together will we die if that question is no then it's like will we be safe and if that question is yes then is can we avoid pain and discomfort top three priorities that it's organizing together to accomplish If we can't get past the first part of I'm not going to die because our heart rate is telling us we are and we haven't learned how to breathe and send a counter information to the heart. Thank you for the message. We actually cool. We, we, yep. Now stay with me. You know, I appreciate the perception and that's where, you know, where I talk about littles or historical parts or just the various parts of us. They're all sending messages. Hey, 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 don't Mm -hmm. go that way. When we develop community, that's external community to sit with and our own internal community, that internal Mm -hmm. ecosystem, all of a sudden we learn to be a little more regulated and then choices appear that didn't, Mm -hmm. that weren't there when we were in an escalated state of dysregulation. You only saw one way, Mm -hmm. but then next thing you know, your nervous system starts to regulate and you like, oh my God, where do these other four options come from? 
Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that was a thing. So I love choice. And and while we always have it, it doesn't always feel like it. Mm-hmm. When you create environments for folks to do this work that we're talking about, what are some of the things that you encourage folks to unlearn, relearn, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff to aid in moving towards embodied radical love? So I think there are a couple of things. Um, I, I love this, like the body doesn't lie, but the story around that sensation, yeah. mm-hmm. mm, you know, <laughs> maybe, you know, may not be, like you said, the most accurate, right? Mm-hmm. The story around it. Um, and I think part of what um, feels important in, in listening to you when I, when I just started feeling it, what just kind of came up is, is, also our epigenetic memory. Yes. Right? Like the memory of um, our ancestors, the way that still shows up in how we move, even if we haven't had the experience. And so when I, what I want to trigger in folks or what I want to open up and expand in folks is, is, is our epigenetic memory of uh, what we have done in service of love before. Right. Yeah. Because what you're talking about around safety, I started um, um, feeling into to my ancestors, to our ancestors, particularly in enslavement. And I'm reading um, this brilliant book by Kung Lee right now, Begin the World Again. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a retelling of the Denmark Vesey uh, um, uprising um, in, in a really beautiful way. Like it's very complex, what they call it, they call it counterfactual. Like there's some, they're like some real people, but how, who gets mixed up in there? And part of what, um, both in the reading of that book and just in general is, is a remembrance of, you know, during enslavement, folks would leave at night to go just spend the night with their loved ones and then run back to the plantation that they were on in order to be able to do the work in the morning, right? There's nothing safe about that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing survive that that says, I'm going to survive every time I walk three miles in the dark, in the woods to hold the hand of my spouse that has been sold away and to see my children that have been sold away mm-hmm. and get back and walk the hours back. There's nothing uh, um, that says that that's possible, right? Or that that, is that it's going to work or that I'm going to survive that or they're not going to survive that. And very often we might not have survived it. We certainly had consequences for it, right? But that didn't stop us. Mm-hmm. None of that stopped us, you know? None of that stopped. There's there's some beautiful work around, um, um, around uprisings um, um, that started at the door of no return. Right. Like just the the constant resistance and uprisings for the sake of what? So that's what I'm getting to slowly. Right. Like I spend time with people identifying for the sake of what? Yeah. Right? Mm. That is the container that I want to create. I want you to ground so deeply in, in your knowing of your for the sake of what that choice becomes um, even more expansive than your safety, than your, you know, than your uh, uh, um, security, than your survival. Right. Mm-hmm. That 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 um, and that risk, oh, that that 
risk opens up a new level of, of options around how you can move through the world. That's so beautiful for the sake of what, because you're absolutely right. Like whether we look ancestrally and intergenerationally, or even right now, sometimes somebody can make a decision. You, you see the result of their decision, their action. And there's like a mind blowing, like, why would they do that? Like, why would you make that decision? And so what that may have sparked in me previously was an automatic judgment, right? Because there's good, bad, right, and wrong. So -hmm. when I see someone acting or not acting in a certain way, well, I need to attach these labels to it. Now that, 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 that is no longer the frame, right? Now that curiosity and compassion are the are the values that guide me when I see someone doing something that's like oh my goodness I immediately am like oh now now I have these words if I may use them for the sake of what like I don't know what I was saying before it was the heart of for the sake of what Mm -hmm. but it would just be like in order for someone to do that thing that defies to stand in front of that moving vehicle, to to be on the other end of an automatic weapon, and you saying, I am here for the sake of what, what depth, what are they connected to where this mm-hmm. action has outweighed the mm-hmm. need to be safe, survive, and avoid discomfort and pain? Because mm-hmm. they're defying new neural that. pathways edging those grooves and the beautiful thing about community is showing other people that it's possible mm-hmm. so sometimes we we have an access choice individually but then we see something that lets us know something is possible mm-hmm. it's one of the the reasons why i got pink hair mm-hmm. when i when i stand in front of a room inevitably when someone says to me, I like your hair, mm-hmm. I recognize that while you might find it aesthetically pleasing, especially when it's a melanated woman who says it to me, mm-hmm. or it's someone who is in the LGBTQ community plus community, I'm reading underneath that is you're showing something else is possible. Like, yeah, I mm-hmm. like your hair. I like that you had the nerve to stay in yourself up <laughs> in a conference Wearing Mm. what you're wearing with your hair like that and still being considered the person we're going to learn from. Mm -hmm. I wonder what else is possible, right? So we become within community and as an extension of embodied radical love is we become sometimes the very vision of what's possible. Not like, oh, follow me, do it my way. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that when it didn't seem like there were no any options, wait, Mm -hmm. Well, well, if Sage can do it, Risk I'm is contagious. Like, maybe I, what can I do? Mm-hmm. How is that? Right. So one, you read, which is beautiful. And my listeners know, y'all, I listen, my gift operate a different way. You be like, and this person wrote, and I'd be like, I just want to meet and talk <laughs> to these people, right? Because uh, me and books. Okay. It's it's anyway. Well, oh, I story. will say, hold up. I just want to offer really quickly that I believe books are conversations, mm-hmm. right? Like, so like I'm in a huge conversation ongoing many, many years with Amir Cockabral, who's, you know, had, you know, long ancestor, but I believe I, so I feel you. I move in the same yeah. way. Like it's a conversation. Like what is the, what is the conversation? Yeah. Yes. Right. Like, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. 
you don't do this alone. You don't do this alone. How do I know? Because can't nobody do this alone. Like, and and when when we try, <laughs> uh, burnout and fizzle. Um, so the work that we do requires us to be connected to a community that we are both participants with, but also recipients of support, love, clarity, all the things. So can you talk to us a little bit about your village, your community? How does Sage stay uh, resourced in order to do the things that she's doing in the world, which are super dope things? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, you know, the, thank you for this question. Because one of my dear sister friends uh, came up in my spirit when we were talking about, you know, people, people seeing things. And so I just want to name Tamara Madison, who's a brilliant writer and poet. And um, we lived in an apartment complex in Atlanta, Georgia. Shout out to the 1540 crew. It was like one of those like eight apartments. And we're all like in our sort of mid 20s to early 30s, you know, trying to figure it out. And Tamara was a little older than us. She had two children um, that she was raising as a poet. Mm. And this is in like 1990. Now I'd gone, I'd gone, got my degree, you know, and, and was working a nine to five and, you know, all these things. And watching Tamara raise her two children as a writer and a poet taught me something about what was possible, mm. right? Like taught me something at a really formidable stage in my life around what was possible um, and what, what, I, what was necessary to create a good life, right? Like a meaningful life. And it wasn't, you know, titles. It wasn't the amount of money in your bank account. It wasn't like, not only did she have the responsibility of herself and we were in our twenties, we was kicking it all night, you know, woo, they, you know, but she had two small children mm -hmm. and she talked about for the sake of what she was so clear then and still, you know, putting out books is brilliant writer in the world, a professor. I love Tam. Um, shout out um, Tamara Madison, but that having that kind of community, again, there was, there were eight apartments, um, some folks were chefs, some folks were, you know, working in radio. Like we all, we communally made food together. Like these are still my people, right? Like 30 years later, I'm about to go to my 30th reunion. You know, all these folks are still, you know, part of my life and part of what made me believe I could live the life that I have chosen, right? Mm -hmm. And and one of the things I say about that is, is um, I know I'll never be homeless and I'll never be hungry unless I want to be. I know that. I know that as deeply as the blood that runs through my veins and the marrow in my bones. I know that. I know that if I am an out and and that is both by grace, by design and by development. Like that community is both by grace, design and development. Word. Like, yeah. uh, so that's beautiful. That idea yeah. that you saw possibility in Tamara mm -hmm. right not oh I need to be a poet <laughs> and had two kids right no but you saw a possibility but I I really appreciate you saying by grace 
by design and by development because I feel like those are essential and we can't like they all exist and if we if we don't recognize that there's a level of grace that's happening there we can take that for granted If we don't recognize that there's a design in place, then we might start moving in count in opposition of the design. And if we don't understand that it requires development, then we start, you know, seeds of resentment or, you know, overproduction or performance. Like there is a harmony that exists within some of the most beautiful communities that I've been a part of. Mm -hmm. where that and I use balance I mean I use harmony in lieu of balance because for me balance seems to insinuate equal parts or a finite point in which everything is no but harmony says you know there is a fluctuation and I go back to when I sang in choir and I'll I'll always be honest altos carry the choir you better say that again Mm. and I'm a soprano and I, I realized that all we had, all I had to do was hit a couple high notes and it's like, oh, but I'm like, they over there putting in the work mm-hmm. like altos carry the choir, but the tenor, they do a little something. We do a little something over here, but it's not about, we all have to have the equal parts or sing the same notes, but w- what's the contribution? And then Mm -hmm. that'll flow. Some songs are heavier on some parts than the other. And that's a harmony that I, that I, I feel connected to Mm -hmm. like the ebb and flow of a community that's going to be able to hold me and my full weight. I'm a big girl Mm -hmm. with a big gift, Mm -hmm. big dreams. Mm -hmm. Can you hold me? And I can sit and be in connection to hold you as well. So the reciprocity of that feels good to me. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, it, I've never said this thing about grace design and development. So thank you. It's new to me oh, too. Oh, go uh, write that down. <laughs> Make sure when you re-listening, you write that down somewhere. <laughs> and part of, uh, part of like, whenever I say something, like, yeah, I, I always have a, I try and figure out like, do I believe, like, what is the evidence? Back to the embodiment. What is the evidence? What is the grounds by which I say what I say, right? And so once I said that, I was like, huh, that actually applies to how you and I met at CHJL, right? It, yeah, Grace. right. Whatever in the universe had us apply at the same time and get accepted, who knows? Grace, mm-hmm. universe, design. Sarah and Damon built a container that we got to pour into and be a part of and connected to. And then development building relationships, doing the work, showing up for classes, reaching out to do podcasts together, like continuing the work of of grounding, building, expanding our relationships together. That's that's community to me and what, and how community, and because of that, community can hold all of what you offer, all Mm -hmm. of what I offer, all of what uh, Alethea offers. I can shout out all all of, you know, all of our our kin folk, you know, uh, in the harmony that you're speaking about. It is exactly how how we met and continue. And that's so important. Development. And I've been thinking about development lately, mainly or specifically as it pertains to parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, As I sit back and not even evaluate, but observe my role as a parent, the gift that I've been given 
And that expands to any other people that I have the opportunity to encourage and be in support that we are culturalized and socialized around expectations moving based on age, not development. So now all of a sudden, because someone is a certain age and further than that, how they look, if you've ever seen somebody engage with a big toddler, it shows, right? They treat that polar baby. Like just something wrong with that child. And it's like, they just tall. They're two. So then it's like, oh, they're two. Then all of a sudden the expectations are are shifted based on that. But when you've Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to be not just work with, but be in relationship with people who develop differently, all of a sudden you start to question why we are making so many of our expectations based on a number Instead of focusing on how are we developing folk, it Mm. happens in work, you know, okay, you got, you know, you were in this trial period at this job for 90 days with the assumption that the passage of time automatically connects to development, but you can spend, my person can spend 90 days at a job if you're not actively developing them. But at 91 days, you expect that they're going to be able to do something. That expectation is off because you haven't developed them. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people engage in community because of convenience, proximity, you know, geographical location. Okay, we're neighbors. But if there's no development that's happening within these community, in these relationships, then we can create a narrative like, ah, community ain't for me or they can't do this. But it's like, no, it's underdeveloped. Community mm-hmm. that oftentimes leaves us resentful or disappointed, or or, or those needs are unmet. So yeah, as we talked about community, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Grace, design, development. That's that's some. Did you write it down? Okay, we, we can do it later. I'm just saying. I can sure. listen to this later. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I love what you're saying around neighbors because they're they're we you know many of us come from this well actually nowadays all of us come from the stranger danger you know (laughs) growing up right so there's risk involved right so we're back to this idea of like what you risk for the sake of what right there's risk involved in extending yourself to someone there's risk involved in uh you know calling someone you know that you you don't know or you know offering a hand or I am I am the perennial auntie, so I am absolutely the person in the grocery store who will be like, baby, your mama said put that down, you know, and just keep on walking, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like there's a risk, you know, because yeah. some moms might be like, well, you know, and some would be mm-hmm. like, like, mm-hmm. like, you never know, right? Like, but for the sake, for the for the development of our our relationships with each other, for for the development of what um, the world can be, like for the development of um I mean we do it and we're taught to do it in our romantic relationships all the time right yeah. like you know and, and I think it's just something that we can extend to the world you know? I agree and it reminded me of my 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 daughters who will be seven soon they're fig- they're trying to figure it out right so I've never used stranger danger right mm-hmm. but it's 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 ingrained mm-hmm. in the systems in the school and all this stuff so it'll be so interesting if we're out in 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 the world and I speak to someone or someone speaks to me you know we're having a conversation one of their first questions are like you know them exactly do you, you know, know them I who's that it. you know and then it's like 
Oh, and then, and then just very honestly, well, why is it that like you get to talk to strangers and we can't? And I'm like, well, well, let, okay, so I don't have no real good answer. Let's talk it through. Like mm -hmm. one, this strange, you know, because there's a level of safety that sure. I want my children to be able to maintain. How do you explain to a four or five, six year old, like the difference between, yeah, stranger, you don't know them versus, you know, what does mm -hmm. community look like? How can we be unguarded enough to, to be connected, which can be, like you said, that's a vulnerable thing. That's a risk that we're mm -hmm. taking. But anyone who talks to me, it's just interesting that they, what they get to observe is either my mama know everybody in Costco or I need to redefine this stranger thing because does my mm -hmm. mama really know everybody? Cause I do not. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. But what's the difference between offering a hello and a smile versus telling them your address and where you go to school. Right. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and, and, and can we be intentional enough? Now my, my latest thing is in 2021, I looked up in March, I had just started the nine month cohort with Resume Minicum and education for racial equity. And realize I have a melanated village. Mm -hmm. I've been navigating the world in a particular way since undergrad. And I called and I said, I need this for myself. And now I look around and I'm like, two years, like, and only two years, <laughs> yo, this thing is dope. And mm -hmm. I, now I want that for my family. I want that for my kids. Mm -hmm. And there's a development. There's an intentionality that that mm -hmm. that is part of community it's so i've really been sitting with this ain't just for me right mm -hmm. this this is not just for me so what does that look like so i just really appreciate this conversation around community because as we talk about the knowing that the epigenetic knowing that we have the epigenetic resilience and wisdom and brilliance that that lives within us there's that lives in our children and what are they absorbing? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm asking myself. And what are the intentional and unintentional consequences mm -hmm. of what they're observing and all of that stuff? So, so dope. Now we I know was... for sure. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt your thought. No, go for it. I just want to say, it's, you know, it's so deeply connected to what you said earlier about age, right? Like, you know, I have a friend who talks about Y'all, I talk a lot about racialized capitalism and structures. I do, um, right? Like that, 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 that way of being always wants to find a technical solution, right? By technical, it's like, what is, what is the external solution, right? So the external solution to stranger danger is don't talk to anyone you don't know, mm -hmm. right? But an alternative way to navigate that is how do we turn up our discernment? There it is. Right. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about when you were talking about how we treat folks based on age, you know, we some we kind of joke about like babies having discernment. Like we kind of joke about, you know, babies will go to people and not go to people. But then by the time they're two or three, you're like, you have to go to this person to hug them because they're your mm -hmm. auntie. Right. So we actually um, unpack. We absolutely uh, um, teach them in some ways not to trust their inherent discernment, you know, and and. I think there's a, a, a there's something to think about because um, I think about building my discernment all the time. You know, like I'm in fact I, I'm rebuilding it. Mm, <laughs> like you yeah, know, that's and real. that's something how we know. Like there's somebody who walks up to your window and you're like, mm. and there's somebody who walks up to your window. And you're like, okay, I'm okay <laughs> to roll with that. Like mm -hmm. there's something we're learning as adults that 
we can we can be thinking about what is the what is the discernment what is the sermon of the six year olds yes right and where do they get to practice it because it's a muscle right come on and how often we're deconditioned out of our intuitive knowing mm-hmm. from birth mm-hmm. and in some ways so yeah no that's that's key and it is how do we teach them how do we honor it yes how do we honor it mm-hmm. because one thing I'm really learning and this is what I want to help folks who are in some kind of caregiving capacity is uh parenting and caregiving ain't convenient Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just not convenient and honoring the intuitive knowings the discernment and the gifts of a child means you are perpetually putting yourself in a place to be inconvenienced because mm-hmm. that gift is going to make, it's going to cause them to want to go that way. And you like, but because of time, come on, come <laughs> on, come on. Right. That, 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 that thing that stirs up in them as a passion that they're really interested in is going to draw their attention longer than you're willing to stay. It's going to cause them to make a mess in their areas. They try to figure it out and you don't like that, you know, keep it clean. Mm-hmm. It's going to cause them to talk more or talk less and you want more of them or less of them. And it's not convenient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how often, like I said, I, I I got this revelation. I was smoking a cigar. Mm-hmm. Nice. And as I was, I was done, but the cigar was not finished. <laughs> and it started to be like, what are my options for extinguishing this fire? Mm-hmm. And a couple that I had was one is I could just not stimulate it anymore. Mm-hmm. If I don't stimulate it, then it'll fizzle out and it'll, it'll stop. Or I can stifle it by pushing it against the surface and it will go out. And that's when it was like, bam, that's what it's like with children Mm. or even other adults growing a passion. You don't have to be a kid. When we don't stimulate, Mm -hmm. the fire will fizzle. When we stifle, the fire will fizzle. So like how often are we stifling or not stimulating enough Things that are within us, things that are within our partners, our companions, our community members, um, and that that's been sticking with me, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not convenient, <laughs> you know, because I got a plan, I got a thing, I have it, and I got three kids yeah. who are three different individuals with three different, and I've also released this this notion that I'm supposed to know what's best for them. Mm-hmm. I had to go like. Where did I learn? You know, my three questions. Where did I learn it? Slash, who told me that? Is it true? Slash, is it still true? And who is benefiting and who is being harmed from my belief in this? Mm-hmm. And as I went through those questions, I realized I put a lot of pressure on myself to know what's best. But I'm 41 years old, still trying to figure out what's best for me. And I'm supposed to know what's best for three different human individuals that are very different from myself. And what if, what if I journey with them as they figure out what's best mm-hmm. for them? what if they know co-create that what if I what if they know they have a soft place to land when they hit a boundary or a wall what if I stop creating brick walls as boundaries so when they hit it it hurts but what if I can gently go hey here it is let's let let's learn about boundaries instead of trying to figure it out by paying the therapist a whole lot of money Mm -hmm. need you to do it because that's where a lot of people right we talk about boundaries all the time. So yeah, no, that in that discernment and intuition. And it's also this thing that we got to know more or better than someone we're supporting in order to support them. What if I don't, what if I'm learning alongside? 
Mm-hmm. And the spaciousness that I that I'm starting to feel as a parent, I didn't think was an option for me. You know, parenting was tight. It was tense because it's three other human beings that I got to know what's best for and 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 guide them on it and turn them and it like or or right back to that choice. It didn't feel like a choice, but now it's like, hmm, what if I let them teach me a little bit of something? Mm-hmm. What what if I know that the role is reciprocal? That as much as they absorb it and learn it from me, I can learn from them. And they're closer to their inherent discernment than I am. Mm-hmm. Because I've had a lot more deconditioning than they have. What does it look like to learn, honor that they are actually discerning? Tell them that that's what it is and practice it with them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I feel you. I mean, in relationship to, to, young people and in relationship to in, in all relationships right like the the need to know what is right or what or what is the the pathway we should be taking what is safe what is not safe right like it you know, it's back to sort of the containers that I create that I work with folks as facilitator particular to create it's like for the sake of what but also what is what is repair right like when you have a a path to repair then you're less, uh, um, I don't want to say less likely. There are a lot of things that make it less likely, but you're, you, it increases the, your uh, sense of risk, right? Like it increases like your, your thought that, okay, maybe I'll try something because it's not going to be cataclysmic. It's not going to be you know, like, if it doesn't shape quite the way I think it will, it's not going to be the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. We have a way to get back to our values, or we have a way to create some new boundaries. Like it's just learning. It's all just learning. Every relationship, every interaction, like I just really believe that it's all just learn. It's all, and and when I say just learning, I'm not, learning could hurt. Learning can be hard. Yeah. Learning could also be hilarious. It could be joyful. Like it's, it's all, it's all learning and love. Right. And that's such a good point. It, I think it points to the relationship we have with learning. Mm-hmm. because the systems have considered learning one thing mm-hmm. but the genuine learning is another oh my mm-hmm. god yeah so we conflated learning and knowing com- so this is the point where i have to be like y'all for real we could talk for hours <laughs> <laughs> the, the inevitable point where i look at the clock and be like i i i i i'm gonna I'm start wrapping us up knowing that <laughs> no so this is the the very intimate and public invitation of any time mm-hmm. like any time we can do this because one I always say like I do this for me and I had to come to that realization mm-hmm. this podcast is for me mm-hmm. and if you happen to benefit yay <laughs> but these well, are people I, I want to talk to these are conversations I want to have. This is nurturing and developing relationships that I find in, uh, valuable. So we're going to do this again. But <laughs> as we start to wrap up, I am curious, did I, did we not touch on something that you're feeling intuitively like, hey, listeners need to know this, you know, anything you feel like we didn't, we didn't have an opportunity to say? I don't think there's anything we didn't have an opportunity to say. I am I am filled to the brim. Um, and I think the only thing I will offer is this conversation 
is an example of embodied radical love and practice. Mm. And I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for the opportunity mm. to be in conversation with you, sis. And mm. look forward to doing it again. Yes. My my body responded with chills as you said that. Because it is. People might have started this this episode. Like those are those felt like big words. Embodied radical love. And then you vibed with us. And then now you're like, oh, this was it. Mm-hmm. We did That's this so together. Good. Together. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if folks want to reach out, talk to you, got questions, want to be part of that container you be creating, you know what I mean? In service of what? <laughs> How might people reach you and um, contact you? Uh, people can always contact me at sage.crump at gmail.com you know, you can hit me up. Um, I'm comfortable with that being public. Um, and you can always find me on primarily Instagram is, is where I'm most likely at Sage Sense, S-A-G-E-S-E-N-S-E. Um, are the two places that you uh, feel free to reach out. Go ahead and jump in my DMs. Go on ahead. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 that was an invitation. Yes, right? Sage, sis, love you. So much Thank gratitude you. for um for the way you genuinely love in this world it is felt by those who have the honor of being in relationship with you and so as a recipient of that of that radical embodied love um i just really want to genuinely thank you for your time today i'm so grateful thank you yes so y'all my typical shout outs i definitely have to shout out jay sug from instant classic media I want to give a shout out to my nephew, Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. And you know, I love y'all, my listeners. Um, I appreciate every time you tune in. I say it's not a radio station. You can't accidentally get here. You made a choice to come listen. And for that, I am grateful. I want to shout out and remind you all that I do have my Patreon. So if you consume this content on a regular basis and want to support its continued creation, head over to uh, Patreon. But I do have my Patreon specific content. That stuff is dope over there. All the major social media outlets. I got a new um, communications director who's doing my social media and she she's dreaming big y'all so we got some things coming that i'll continue to share if you haven't already go ahead and give us that five star rating write a review and share the content i mean the podcast with your loved ones and friends until we connect again you all be well